Good, eh? Um, I was just sharing with Ben, um, last week after, is it Debbie? Debbie um, came and shared with me after the meeting about the, the, her headache going, and then while I was driving, Jeremy sent me a message and said, I, um, I forgot to tell you at church, but I felt the, the cloth, you know, that was hot. And um, like I phoned Ben and I said to him, man, you need to understand something, like God is moving. Now, like, that, this, that was an instant healing. Like, we prayed over the cloth. Jeremy felt the heat, that, which is a manifestation that he experienced. And then instantly your headache went away. And then now we hear that your, your husband's uh, neck pain went away and he slept. And um, I was reminded of um, when, when, I, when I lived in Dubai. And the reason why I speak about that testimony so often is because I, I, we saw a move of God over three years like we've never experienced before. You know what I mean? Um, Everyone is keen about what was happening at Bethel, but what was going on at Bethel was exactly what was happening in the Middle East. And we, we, we brought Bill Johnson in there, and he's like, I don't know why you've got me here. This, this God's doing what he's doing there, and we, we're walking in it, so you guys just, you know, probably as far along as we are. So we were like, wow, that's incredible. But I remember when it first started happening, there was um, people would come forward, and we had a, quite a fair-sized church, and they would share testimony of, you know, knee pain going, or I had the flu and it's gone, or I had a headache and it went away, small things, you know, someone got saved in a home group and things like that, and, you know, I, I remember sitting there at one time, and there was these, like, you know, scattered clap here and there, and then I remember the one day they brought up five people and, uh, to, to bring onto the deacon team, and I remember that when they did that, they brought them onto the deacon team, they prayed them on, the whole church stood up in a standing ovation, and I, I remember sitting there, and God rested me in my heart, and he said, something's wrong here. <laughs> he says, you're celebrating men coming into positions, but when I move, no one knows how to celebrate that. So I actually immediately got the microphone, and I, and I addressed that in the church. I said, guys, if God moves, we need to learn to celebrate that. Like, it's him moving. The, the achievements of men and the things that men achieve are, are, are one thing. And yes, we do need to honor and celebrate when God brings men and women into a leadership role, because that is a kingdom pattern. But when God moves sovereignly, you know, we need to be celebrating that move of his kingdom coming, of him actually stepping in. And, and what we saw is exactly what Elijah saw. He saw a cloud the size of a man's hand, which is, now I've got an average size man's hand, but that's how big this cloud was, in an open sky where it hadn't rained for three years. And he sees a cloud appear the size of a man's hand, says to a servant, run and tell the king, rain is coming. Now, what Elijah did was he stepped into prophesying. And when people share a testimony of Jesus, the scripture says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And I was, I was chatting to Paul Tuttle this week, and I said, man, I want to get up behind the pulpit, and I want to actually say what we are seeing here in this little community is what we started seeing in Dubai before God broke out in a, in a way that was it's inexplainable. I'll, I'll ask it to Paul. I feel like I want to stand up <clears throat> boldly and say the rain, the rain has come. It's going to rain. It has already started. I can, you can smell it and you can feel the drops on your face. And it cannot be manufactured. We cannot manufacture a move of the past. We're not looking to, to manufacture what happened in Dubai, what happened in Bethel, what happened in Toronto. You know, I remember when, when Toronto Blessing came and then all of a sudden, you know, 
Carol Arnott, um, the way she ministered, all of a sudden all these female ministers were ministering like she was. And then Heidi Baker came on the scene through Toronto Blessing. And the next moment all the female preachers are on their knees crying and when they're preaching their sermons. And I went, God's looking for an authentic move among an authentic people. Like you are individual, I'm unique. You know what I mean? I, I, if God moves on me in a certain way and, and it's uncontainable, that's what comes out. You know, we don't want to try and manufacture Bethel, Dubai, Toronto. We don't want to manufacture anything. We don't want to manufacture anything that happened in the past. What we want to do is say, God, we want an authentic move now in 2018 and beyond. In a, in a church that's on the Gold Coast, we're not an American church, we're not a South African church, we're in, in Australia. And God's going to move uniquely, but God's going to move. And, and there may be things that look like what we saw, but there may be things that are different. And we've got to be prepared to experience what God wants to do. And flesh gives birth to flesh. So, you know what I mean? And, and that's all you're going to get out of it. You can do whatever you want. You can shout and scream and sway and go on your knees and cry and shake and rattle and roll. And you can do whatever you want to do to manufacture a move of God. But all that that fleshly thing is going to do is bring birth to flesh. But when you allow the Spirit to move on you and in you and through you and through us, it's going to give birth to the Spirit. And it's going to be authentic and real, and only one person is going to receive that glory, and that's God. You know what I'm saying? And, and so let's celebrate what God does and then allow him to do more. You know what I mean? We, I, allow, I, I came forward to get prayed for my chest because I've been coughing a lot of phlegm this week. And right now, I don't feel like the phlegm has gone. But you know what? As I stood there, I said, I'll walk away from here, and that, that healing will be progressive. I'll come back next week, and I'm not going to cough. That's what I'm going to tell you. It's just not going to happen. Because God's moving, and when God moves, he brings it to completion. He doesn't leave things half done. But he also wants to move with us. We are a part of him. You know what I'm saying? And without us, the move of God is, is not facilitated. He facilitates it on a people, not on an individual, but on a people. And the days of individuals standing on pulpits, and they've got the big names, and when they come to town, we pay for our tickets, and we all go see him because he's the one that's anointed. Those days are not, not going to happen. Let me tell you, God has always wanted a people. Always wanted a people. Whether it's 15, 50, or 500, or 50,000, or 5 million, God just wants to move on a people. And I believe this little community, we're experiencing a little move of God, but let me rephrase that. What we experience, we might think is a little move of God, but I don't see anywhere in Scripture where God moves, it's little. Do you know what I'm saying? When God moves, it's always big because it's the kingdom, and the kingdom is grand. you know what I mean? So let's celebrate those things and, 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 and be, be expectant of more. Every time we gather together, be expectant that God wants to move in and amongst us and then through us. And I promise you, when you, when you live with a heart like that, God will want to work with us. Amen? Awesome. You know, it's, it's funny what Brad was just saying. Uh, we, Jess and I watched a... Hey, Melly, there's a buzz behind me. Can you press some buttons? Just cut the monitors, please. Thanks. Um, Jess and I watched a movie the other night um, called Woodlawn. If you've got Netflix and you haven't seen it, hey, the parade has got us on it. But the, the most fascinating thing is that it's about a school in America um, in the 1970s. But the cool thing about it is that and I wasn't even going to say anything about it. I decided during the movie I wasn't. But the cool thing about it is that one guy, it's a true story, one guy who's played by Frodo, and the whole time I was referring to him as Frodo, one, sorry, Sam, Samwise, Samwise, one guy leads an entire football team to the Lord, one guy, in one stretch, one push to just speak Jesus in front of this team. That team then leads 
another team that's in the, that's in the city, which then leads the entire city. So that at the, the end of the film, there's a, I'm not going to ruin it, but at the end of the film, there's a stadium full of people who come together to say the Lord's Prayer. And it sounds simple, but it's phenomenal. One guy, one small guy, changes an entire city. And it's still, uh, the thing that fascinated me is when you look into it, it, it's still being radically changed by Jesus today. That one city from one guy who asked if he could please talk to the team and the coach wouldn't let him. Phenomenal. So this, this thing that's happening here is not, it's not small in God's eyes. It's, it's precision, if I can say that. It's precisely what God wants, where God wants us to be and what God's doing in us. Sorry to be a pain, Mally, but it's really getting me. Can we cut the monitors, please? Can you just cut everything but this mic? There's a hum. Josh is on it. No? It's definitely there. Mal's, uh, Mal's deaf. There we go. Hey, give me a clap. Cool. The other announcement that I have is on the long weekend, I'm going to need everyone to listen to this because it's going to be upsetting if someone doesn't. On the long weekend, we've decided, there's a few guys who already said that they're going to be away. So we decided why not allow everybody to go and have a long weekend and enjoy time with one another or with other non-Christians or your family we want to offer that opportunity. So what we're going to do is we're not going to have a service on that Sunday, which is the 30th. There's no service that Sunday. Say it with me. No service on the 30th. We're going to have it the Thursday before. We're going to do it the Thursday before, the Thursday night, the 27th. Say it again. No service on the 30th. There's a service on the 27th. We will pump all the deets out. You'll get messages and Facebook until you're sick of them. It'll be at 6.30 so that the parents can get the kidlets to bed at a reasonable time. And we will stop the service by 8. 8. No, we didn't get a slide. Josh, come on, man. We didn't get a slide, guys. There's no slide. But I'm going to send messages out, Facebook statuses, posts, all the jazz. Here Thursday night, not here Sunday. Go camping. Gather your family, gather your friends, gather each other, go and have a barbecue, go and gather together. We just wanted to be, allow guys to have that long weekend and enjoy that as well. Guys that are serving, who serve all the time, we appreciate you and we want you to go and take a weekend off. Is that okay? Cool. When are we not having a service? On the Sunday. And we're having a service on the Thursday before. Okay. Jeepers, eh? All right, so this week I've been thinking through, I, I, was, I was thinking through a lot of what happened last Sunday and, and I, was, I was challenged by why we have so many churches, and on, especially on the Gold Coast, and why God, we're not seeing these things happen regularly. Why? It, it's almost like this thing that it's, it's so amazing when we go and see it, not because God is so amazing, but more because, well, I haven't seen it before. We went, Jess and I went to a conference yesterday, a prophetic conference, and the guys were so incredible that the way that they lived their life, this stuff was normal. Like they were talking and, and, and laughing and joking. I, my stomach hurt afterwards from laughing, not because I was in the spirit, but because the two guys were so funny. Like at one point they're standing there and they're praying for this guy who's crying. And there was two of them that were ministering. He's praying for this guy who's crying. He's just giving him a phenomenal word. And he turns to the other guy. And at the same time, they both said, are you thinking what I'm thinking, B1? And they're both like, sure, MB2. And then they both stood back like, it's impartation time. And I lost it. 
Like, it was so silly and so, so wild, but it was so natural to them. And it was, must have been one of those things you had to be there for, but that's okay. Um, it was so funny because they weren't making light of what God was doing, but it was so normal to them that they were just flowing in and out of it. Like, one moment, this guy is like, He's crying, the guy he's praying for is crying, they're, they're just overcome with the Spirit of God, and then he just turns around and makes this ridiculous joke that I couldn't stop laughing about. And then he's back out and he's like, okay, who's next? And I just thought, what an incredible way to live your life that in the church, it was just so normal to them. So I started thinking through, I mean, I'd already been thinking it through the week, but I was thinking last night, God, what, what are we doing that's... that's wrong really so if you open your bible to galatians i'm going to spend all morning in galatians and if whoever's preaching next week gets inspired maybe they'll continue on as well but that'll be up to them as we we move forward but just go to galatians one with me i just i want to i want to hopefully in half an hour just map out what's happening here i'm there's going to be a lot that i'm not going to touch on because i think we could stay in galatians for a an incredible amount of time because i think what what paul was actually doing was he was writing to the church today and as i read through it i begin to to really understand like god this is paul's writing to us we can read this book and put ourselves in the shoes of the Galatians. Because it's interesting that Paul writes. This is one of the earliest letters that Paul wrote. And the interesting thing is that he was writing challenging, challenging, we see it throughout the scripture as the, the, the non-circumcised. So that's how the, it's, it's related throughout the whole scripture is the circumcised and the non-circumcised. He's not talking about physically circumcision. So gents, you don't have to read it like that. It's not, he's not talking about whether or not you've had the snip or not. He's talking about the snip. The snip, that was a polite way. I've thought through how that was going to be a polite way to bring that across. The snip's a polite way, I think, isn't it? Well, I've said it five times now, so if it's not, we're here. Yeah, we, we all know what it is, I think, pretty much. Maybe not Eli, but he's okay. So he's not talking about, he's not talking about the, the, the physicality of it. He's not talking about whether you're uncircumcised or not circumcised. He's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles. He's talking about the two different aspects of faith that were in the time. So when Paul, when Paul actually writes to the Galatians, he's writing to a church, firstly, that he, some, some scholars say he and Barnabas, although we don't see Barnabas in this, in this letter, but he and Barnabas planted and he established the church. Now, when he established the church in Galatia, there was no law because they weren't Jewish. So they actually had no understanding of the law because they didn't live in the law. They only lived in, at that time, paganism, which was a, a, a worship of other gods. That was what they lived in. And the worship of other gods was predominantly spiritual. So when Paul established the church, he established the church without the understanding of the law. He established it only with an understanding of the Spirit. So when he leaves to go on, continue his journey, he would, have, he would have brought the church together, assigned elders, put the church in, and they were operating from a place purely of grace. I believe that he wouldn't have even needed to teach the law because they wouldn't have understood it. So he doesn't even come in and bring the law in at all. He only brings an understanding of the Spirit. But yet, the reading that we get, the letter that he sends back, 
is all about what are you doing, O foolish Galatians? What have you done in this place? You've actually, you've actually taken what I gave you, the freedom that I gave you, and you've actually bound it up. And you've bound it up in, in, in law and legalism. I love how he starts the letter. He, he introduces himself and he says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from our God, our Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. He opens the letter by giving all the glory back to God, but then he goes on to, to slam what they're actually living in. Galatians 1.6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. So he's saying you're turning to, to nothing. You're turning to a different gospel, but there is no other gospel. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Even if we, Paul, me, and my team that I've come in with, even if I lead you away from the, the gospel that is Jesus, may, you, may they be accursed. How many preachers do we, and, and speakers of today's age do we actually hear say, if I'm leading you astray, may I be accursed? We see a lot of guys building unto themselves. But Paul even says, the, the great apostle, the great writer of the time says, if I'm the one leading you astray, man, may I be accursed. Because right in this picture, he's actually taking Jesus and he's moving Jesus above himself and he's saying, look at Jesus, don't look at me. Look at this thing that I'm telling you about. Even though later he does say, follow me as I follow Christ, he's not saying, do the things that I do because I'm poor. Because earlier in this letter, he's saying, Follow Jesus, only Jesus. I will show you who he is through my living, through my life. But follow him. Be locked into him. I think a lot of, a lot of what the church has done is that they've, they've taken Paul's letters and they've actually created a gospel of Paul. And they're following, they're trying to follow the things that he was doing. When you read the letters of Paul, you have to understand who he's writing to, why he's writing them. Because he's not pressing a, his gospel. He's pressing the gospel of Jesus Christ, but he's putting it in a mold for the area at the time. So when we read these scriptures, when we read Galatians, we're, we're reading it. We have to remember that he's writing to a Gentile people, a, a, a non-circumcised people that knew no law, and he's now addressing in them the fact that they're sticking to the law and not living in the fullness of the grace that God gave. So when we start to actually bring that through, we start to realize that Jesus, sorry, that Paul is actually saying, you fools, I gave you everything, and you went looking for something else. Paul later on in that in, in the earlier in the in the earlier point he puts he puts to them a question and he questions himself. As we have said before, so now sorry, one Galatians one nine, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I talking about himself, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? And he asks it a question. Or am I trying to please men? 
If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. That right there should give us enough meat to chew on for the next little while. Because we live in a society today that is constantly trying to get the approval of man. When you look at social media, we look at anything that we actually spend a lot of our time in, the things we buy, how we buy them, it's incredible how we're actually seeking the approval of man. And, G- and, and Paul says here that I would not even be a servant of Christ if I continued in that way. That's huge. That's rife in the church today. That's rife in what's being built in this place is that we build, and I know because it, it challenges me too. Because I, I, I sit here and think to myself, God, what, what are we doing here? You know, what, what, what's happening this place isn't bursting at the seams. You know, we're not, I'm not traveling the world speaking. They're things that I have to wrestle with. And I think every church leader wrestles with those things. You have things you're wrestling with as well. But as Paul said, if you're trying to please man, you're actually not a servant of Christ. And I don't take that as a condemning thing. I take that as a, as a challenge to go, right, anywhere in my life that I'm trying to please man, I'm going I'm to change it. I'm going to shift my focus. I'm going to realign my life to just do what God's asking me to do in every aspect. I love the fact here that Paul challenges the Galatians by his asking questions of himself because he's not saying I'm coming here with all the answers. He's saying, coming here saying, I think internally he's asking himself that. Because we see, we see later on in, in this verse, which I'm not going to go into, but he goes to the apostles. Paul the apostle goes to apostles to get approval. Others he was working with, others he was walking with to see that if what he was doing was being done in vain. He goes to say, hey guys, this is what I, I'm believing, this is what I'm seeing, what do you guys think? And then we read in, this, in, in I think it's in uh, Galatians 3 at the end, we see them shake hands, the right hand of approval in the Jewish culture. Our handshake now. You see, we, we, Paul actually takes what he was teaching them and he, he goes to them and says, this is what I'm feeling burning in my stomach. I need to give this to the people. What do you think? Do you approve of it? Paul wasn't coming saying that he knew everything. He had all the answers. He was coming saying, guys, I gave you something to live by. I gave you the, the, the gospel of Christ. I gave you the, the freedom of his grace and you tossed it away. When we mix tradition of man with grace, we're, we're teaching an accursed gospel. When we take the message that Jesus brought and we lessen it or we, or we, we stretch it, we're teaching an accursed gospel. That's a, that's a massive thing to say, but that's what Paul's saying. Anything that is not of Jesus, anything that we do not see him preach and lay in to the church, we're teaching something that's accursed. That's scary for somebody preaching because I start looking at that and go, Jesus, please make this thing what you want me to say. Now, I have a whole, a whole brand new level of, of honour for guys that lead churches that we're, we're quick to throw stones at because we have to carry this thing and say, Jesus, you've asked me to preach. And Paul's saying, anything that you preach, the son of me is an accursed. Now, I believe that, that Jesus is looking at our hearts. He's not, he's not going to slam something. But, but when we teach something that's wrong, we have to unteach it. So if we lay something in that's, that's not what Jesus was laying in, we have to take it out. 
And that's something that, that after I preach a sermon, I, I check things through with guys. And if I've done something wrong, I need to come back to the barrel and say, hey, guys, I stuffed that up. Because Paul was saying that, 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 that a curse is actually something that's not of Jesus. That's what slipped into the church. That we see things all throughout the church where it's a little less or it's more than what it actually is. You know, when we take grace too far, we actually walk into this place of an accursed gospel. And I know this is a heavy thing that I'm saying, but that's what Paul was saying to the Galatians. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lighten up at the end, I promise. But the reality is, guys, is that it's so important for us to understand who Christ is. Because then when we teach people, and all of us in some, in some way are a teacher, we're all in some way, we, we operate in those gifts. Uh, the guy yesterday, Adam yesterday, was saying that, he was saying that some people in here are feeling like they're, they're not prophets. And he said, you're right, but God can still use you in the gift of a, of a prophet if you're in the right place at the right time. He actually was saying that we, when we look at a situation, we look through the lens of, of the person living in us, Christ in us. So he's, he, he's made a joke about the fact that he's not at all compassionate. But when he looks at Jesus, he sees compassion because he's looking through the lens of Christ. So he says, I have compassion on a people. But he said, if it wasn't for Christ, I wouldn't be compassionate. And I thought, what a cool, honest thing to say that he's saying, no, I, I put the lens of Christ on. And I look through those things and say, God, whoever you are, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do everything I can to represent that in that place. So when we come and, and, and we go, well, I'm not a teacher, I don't stand in front of a pulpit, you are preaching to somebody. All of us are. Most of us have jobs here. There's a, there's a, a, a group of people around you where you're preaching to them about something. And I'm not saying go and, and wait till they get in, sit at their desk and then yell Jesus at them. But we actually, we actually preach and we, we teach the guys that are around us in every aspect of life, what we, how we view things, all those kinds of things. If you're a mum... You have, you're teaching your children. You're preaching to your children about how to grow up, how to live a life. We have to know who Jesus is in order for us to continue to teach who he is and preach who he is. And if you're a dad, sorry. You're a dad, you're still, a, you're still teaching a kid. I like, I like in, in verse 111, Paul, Paul speaks about who he is and how he's called. He justifies what, what God says. Sorry, he justifies who God's made him to be. And he says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Which is incredible because Paul was taught as a Pharisee. So in that statement... To the Galatians, he's actually saying, I've got rid of all of my teaching, my years of study as a Pharisee, as a scribe. Years of study. And in this letter, he says to him, I'm not trained by anybody. I, I saw who Jesus was and that's who I'm now preaching. He left behind everything that was of the law because he saw who Jesus was. And he goes on to say, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. 
But when he who had set me apart before I was born and called me into, um, called me by grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anybody. So he goes on to say that he didn't consult with anybody. He went away to learn about Jesus more on his own. But what he's saying here is that I was living a life that was bound by my forefathers, bound by the traditions of my fathers, or as we now speak of it, it's the traditions of men. I was bound by this thing that men had put in place until God was so graceful that he showed me his son. He revealed everything to me in Jesus. And now I have a life that I can actually begin to walk forward in. This is not a small task that, that, that Paul's explaining. He gave up everything. Not only that, he then planted a church in, in, in Galatia where they also would have given up everything. The, the study of, the, of the, the gods, the little g gods, the, um, the, the different uh, gods of the time, that wasn't a small thing that some did. Everybody did that. That was a massive part of their life. Paul then comes in, he says, I have, I have the God. Once you give up everything and come to me, then I'll show you who he is. He then establishes a church that would have gone against everything that was in the city. They would have been the outcasts. They would have given up everything. I was reading a, a scholar during the week who said, you know, we don't really have a picture of that in our day and age today. Maybe if you gave away your phone and, and every electronic device you had, your cookware, your house, and just moved out to the bush and lived like that, that would be a small picture of what they gave away because of the culture of the day was surrounded by the study of the gods. So when they gave it up, they didn't give it up lightly. They gave it up knowing that Jesus, this Jesus that you've shown me is everything to me. And I, I, don't want to, I don't want to continue to rag on the, on the contemporary church today, but it's, it's the picture that we're in that, that we, we don't have many that live like that. But that's what God's calling us to. Now, please don't go out and sell all your things. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that, that we have to, in ourselves, die to this understanding of the flesh. The fact that we shouldn't be rattling with the law because the law was never put in here. For us, we were never given the law because we're not Jews, unless there is any Jews. Is there any Jews in the house? No? So, so none of us should, should even be dealing with the law. We should never have even thought about the law. Because God gave us His grace. So when we start to understand, now, again, we can take that too far. That doesn't mean you can go out and live a life and sin because Paul actually calls us to living in His righteousness living from that place of his kingdom, like we've heard Brad preach about, that choosing that way where, where there's a, a, a kingdom way of doing things. But we have to stop wrestling with these things that we're supposed to be because God's already given you what you need to be who you need to be. That job that he's asking you to do, God's given you the tools for it. Otherwise, he wouldn't have asked you to do it. You see, we stand in this place where... where we, we try and make something of ourselves to please man and we're trying to do it out of our... The, the things God hasn't given us. I was chatting with someone about, about whether or not I would advise somebody to step into leading a church in the same circumstances that Jess and I have. And I said, I don't have the place to advise that because I don't know the gifts that God's given them. I could certainly help them along the way in the things that we've struggled with, the things that we've seen shortcomings in. But if God's honestly called you to that place, then I'd say, Absolutely. You know, it's, 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 
It's ludicrous that we would pray for a, a cloth and lay it and pain would leave. But that's God. We read all through the scriptures. It's the thing that fascinates me. We read through these scriptures and we believe them and there's so many ludicrous things in here. Faith in God, a focus and understanding of God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend my time with you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust in you. And that's what Paul was saying to the Galatians. You've actually missed it. You've missed the mark. I gave you something. I gave you something to run toward and you, you thought it wasn't enough. So you went looking. Now, actually, he says that there's, there's those that came in to, to, to give the law in. So he's not saying that they went and chose it, that they were actually deceived in that. But we all get the choice to step into something or step out of something. We get the choice to decide whether, God, do you want me there or do you want me over here? And when we ask God, when we ask God, he will give that thing to us. The guy yesterday was talking about the verse where it says that, if you ask for, a, for a, um, something to eat, God wouldn't give you a stone. And he was saying, you know, that's not talking about asking for a Ferrari and getting a Ferrari. It's talking about the Holy Spirit. That when we come to God and say, God, I need your spirit. I want your spirit. I, I want to I see what that is, that he will bring us to that place. It's actually talking about the baptism of the fire. That he's calling us into a baptism in his power. Sorry for those who wanted to pray for a Ferrari. You get something better. Lamborghini, sorry. <laughs> Purple one. Edie's got it called. You see, when, when Paul and Barnabas went and, and, and were preaching, they were preaching about a king and his kingdom. They were preaching about the reality of, of the Gentiles coming into that kingdom. They weren't, they, the, their vision of salvation wasn't for a later time. Their understanding of salvation was you can have it now and the kingdom of God will come down and, and be in that place that you're in. He wasn't preaching a prolonged one day. He was preaching right now you can have this thing. Ask God to come and he'll come in and he'll wreck your life. That's what Paul and Martin, that was the whole thing they were preaching. A new king. He's not what you think he's going to look like, but he will bring a kingdom that is far better than any you've ever seen. And it can come right now and, and it can change everything that you're doing. That's what they were preaching. But we've sort of stretched this understanding of, of, of what Paul was teaching and we've actually taken it away from what Jesus was saying. So when we go back to the scriptures and we, and we harp on the fact of Jesus, what are you saying here? What are you doing in this thing? Who are you in this? It's actually changed the way that I read the scriptures because I'm, I'm seeking Jesus in this. As I'm, reading, as I'm reading through this letter from Paul, slamming the Galatians, I'm going, God, how are you in this? But he's all through the thing. He's actually saying in this, guys, I've already given it to you. I, I wonder now when, when, um, when God walks through the churches, he's going, oh, my goodness, guys, you're missing it. It's right there. It's right here. I've got this. It's right here. And it challenges me more and more to go, God, we're going to focus on you. We're going to declare your kingship and we're going to declare your kingdom has come right here. And I think what, what Brad is saying is, is the beginning of something. And, and I struggle with saying that because I, I go to a lot of church leaders meetings and just about every church leader is saying, you know, God's got something, God's got something. But he has something. 
I'm that, I've become that guy. But I can feel in, in everything, in every meeting I'm going to, God's spurring something. And he's readying a people who will take this and accept it. He's readying a people who will lay down the law, the reality of the law, and, and will take his grace and go, God, it makes no sense. I have no idea where we're going, but I'm on this. I'm, I'm coming. Bring me with. Go to Galatians 2.15 verse 21. A little, a little bit across in the book. See, Paul's writing to the Galatians in an effort to get them to understand that they didn't need to work themselves into his kingdom. Which is hilarious because they, they as I said earlier, they, they didn't come with that understanding of the law. But now he's writing to them to say, Galatians, you, you don't need to do anything other than to believe with faith and his kingdom will come. That's where we're at. God's saying to us, you don't need to do anything and my kingdom will come. Debbie didn't do anything special in order for God to, to radically change her life. Jez didn't pray a special prayer. I was praying on the same thing and I didn't see what he saw. There was nothing special that, that he had. But he had a heart and a willingness to say, God, this is ludicrous, but I know you're here, so I'm going to do this thing. That's what Paul's saying to the Galatians. Galatians, you don't need anything, anything more. 2.15 verse 21. But when Cephas, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yes. No. <laughs> two Galatians two fifteen verse twenty one. Fifteen to twenty one. Well, that was English, eh? That was I was speaking English along there. Oh, Brad's not listening. Galatians 2 verse 15, when ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law then Christ died for no purpose. few things here that we need, to, we need to look at. Understand that it says, works of the law. Now, some, some teachers will take this and they'll say, okay, we don't need to do anything for God. We just get saved and we just hang out and we wait it out. He's not saying that because later on he says um, in another book that I don't know where it is until I looked... But he says, faith without works is dead. 
So how can he say this and then say, but your faith without work is dead? Because he's talking here about faith, about works of the law. So he's talking about legalism. He's not talking about doing nothing. Don't go home and say, I'm saved. I don't want to do any work. Good to go. This house needs what you're doing. This city needs who you are. This nation needs what God's put in you. And he's called you to do something. So he's not calling you to put aside a job. But he's calling you not to do it by the works of the law. He's calling you to do it by his faith. So that's the first thing. A person is not justified by works of law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, so that we have believed in, in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, and not by works of law, but because of works of the law, that we believed in Christ Jesus, which is our salvation, is, is, is coming into his kingdom. When we get saved and we believe in who he is, we are given the power to operate in what he is doing. But if, it, but if in our endeavor to be justified by Christ, we too are found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. So he's saying to you, that there's a, there's a reality for us to actually step out of that work of the flesh that we're in. Not to stay in that work of the flesh and say, well, I'm justified in God. Yeah, but there's a, a better way for you to live. That thing that you're doing is, is that you're justifying the flesh is actually Christ didn't come to serve that. So he's saying come out of that, of that um, act of the flesh that you're in and remove that. For what I rebuilt, if, or if I rebuilt what I tore down, I proved myself to be a transgressor. Don't put back in what God's already removed. God's renewed you, created you a new creation. Don't go and get the things that he took away and threw in the bin and bring them back in and go, oh, but I'll still keep these. No, he's saying actually come out of that place. Come free from that thing. I have been crucified with Christ You've died. That thing died in Christ. As Christ died. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness, righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. That is a humongous thing for Paul to say. He's saying that if we live by the law, we're actually saying that Christ died for no reason. That's huge. That if we're still sinners and not made new, then Christ, Christ's death and resurrection was for nothing. That's what Paul's saying in this letter. So when I, when I actually look through things and I, and I, and I read uh, some writers and, I, and, and they, they speak about us being dirty sinners, I think to myself, but that's what Paul was saying not to do because now you've just nullified what Christ did on the cross. What he purchased on the cross, that grace of who he is, you've now gone ahead and nullified that by saying, that's not who I am, I'm not a free new creation. That's dangerous. That's what Paul speaks about earlier as being a, a, um, a teaching that's accursed. It's actually not what Jesus was saying. I do not nullify the grace of if I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Guys, we have to begin to understand that legalism and law in the church is not what we think it is. It doesn't look like it used to. It doesn't look like a Pharisee sprouting things off. There's things that we need to break off our own lives. I'm not saying run in here and, and yell around it, guys, but look look at the legalism that we that we've been ingrained in and say, Jesus, 
Where are you in this? Where are you in this thing that's in my life? And if he's not there, drop it. Leave it behind. Because God's saying, don't put back in what you already took out. Don't rebuild what I tore down. Leave that thing out. Yes. In the, in the garden, when, when man ate the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we became the judges of what is good and evil. One of the biggest issues of legalism in the church today is when we as an individual, you as an individual, part, and it happens every day, I guarantee you, I do it and I guarantee you do it as well. We pass judgment on what we think that person is doing as going, no, that's wrong. No, that's right, that's wrong. Uh, no, he drinks beer, that's wrong. Well, who, who made you the judge of what is good and evil? Do you understand what I'm saying? We have put ourselves in that position. We look at the world as the church, and we decide what is right and what is wrong. And we were never meant to carry that weight on our own. That's why we were never meant to eat from that tree. Our role is simply to act redemptively in a loving manner to all of humanity and to all of creation. And so we've got to be very cautious because I think the church's legalistic stance towards each other as well as towards the world, is when we stand as the judges making the decision as to what we think is right and what we think is evil. And that there is where we fail, I think, as a church, rather than being redemptive and loving. That might be a little taste, man, of what, what you're going to give next week. <laughs> go forward to, go f- forward to Galatians 4 for me. Verse 3, need to be more clear by the, by the sounds. I wanna, I, I'm, I'm on the verge of wrapping up, I promise. I, I want to show you something that's quite interesting in this because there was, a, there was an understanding in, in Jewish thought that, that the pagans were operating when, when they were worshipping little g gods, when they were worshipping um, the, the, the dark spirits, if you like, they, they would give themselves and they would be trapped to the worship of those, those gods. So they would actually spiral down deeper and deeper and deeper as they worshipped those gods, more and more into to bondage and being locked up. So there was a thought that, that the pagans were actually slaves in, in a way to the gods that they were worshipping, little g gods that they were worshipping. So they, that, that was a, a well-known understanding within the Jewish faith. And we read here is that in, in 4.1, he says, I mean, the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So we have to understand that he's actually removing them from the bondage and the slavery of the worship that they were giving to other gods. He actually reaches in and he cuts the chains. We, we, we sing that song, My Chains Are Gone. We think, what chains? It was talking about it's talking about the reality of the Jewish understanding that they, they, were, they were bond servants 
to the darkness. They were bond servants to the spirits of, of dark. And God is actually saying in that, and Paul is writing to the Galatians saying, no longer are you a servant to that type of worship. He's actually challenging them saying, you are not, you are not a slave to that thing. You are a, a son, an heir to the worship of God. I'm going to finish with this. Go with me to the final, the final thing that Paul writes to Galatians 6 verse 11. Paul writes, see with, with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, to be chastised by the law. And only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are cir- circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. So those who are making you stick to the law, they can't even stay in the law, but they're forcing their hand on you to stay rooted in a, in a law that they can't even fulfill. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them. And upon the Israel of God, for now on, from now on, let no one cause, cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. From now on, I bear the marks of Jesus, because I died with him, and I rose again in him. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying that you cannot, you cannot put this thing on me, because I carry the marks of Jesus, because I died with him, and I rose in him, and I'm seated, protected in him. That's what Paul's writing to the Galatians is that you can't bring me under that law that you're trying to because I actually live and, and thrive from a place that the law no longer exists. That, that, that thing that he says just there as well is that, that as for all who walk by this rule, the grace of God, peace and mercy be upon them. That's the elements of the kingdom of God. Righteousness, peace and joy. That's where we find our life is in the kingdom of God, in the freedom of who he is. Why don't you stand and we'll pray? No, I think in, in this, I think there's such a freedom, such an excitement. That's why I, I, I'm, so, I'm so zealous, if you like to use that word, about declaring the kingship and the kingdom of God. Because that's where we find ourselves in His grace. Is that that law is dead. That law is gone. And, and my prayer is, God, as, as we see that thing come in, won't you help us, give us wisdom to remove it? Give us the clarity to to kick that thing back out the way it came. Because as for my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And in that service of God is the fullness of his kingdom, is the fullness of his grace. So, Father, we just thank you, God. We honor you, Jesus. We just declare you king, God. We We declare your kingdom here in this place. And Jesus, in your name, we just, we just refute any, any position of the law right now. That God, we stand holy in your grace, freely in your kingdom. We love you, Father. We honor you, Jesus. We just worship you. And we thank you, Lord God. Jesus, in your beautiful name we pray. Amen.